0: jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh
1: bismillah walhamdulillah as-salatu was-salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh alhamdulillah so we are now continuing on to session number 6 okay session number 6 and so alhamdulillah, we, are, we have been able to go through 22 verses of this amazing, amazing surah. Um, and I remember I mentioned to everybody last week that this session specifically will be one that is going to require a lot of uh, maturity, uh, a lot of you know, self-reflection. Because there are some, you know, and, and one, one of the beautiful things about the Qur'an is that the Qur'an is not a, 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 a book that shies away from addressing very serious issues of the human self. Um, there are certain, you know, topics that are sometimes uncomfortable to speak about, uh, but the Qur'an is not a, a, you know, a book that you will find that is going to, um, you know, try to basically avoid those uncomfortable discussions. Um, and so today, you know, the ayat that we're going to be covering today, beginning with ayah number twenty three, it's going to divulge into certain you know chapters of this story that are very, very relevant for everyone, right? And 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 I don't want anyone to think, you know, when we read the Quran or when we hear certain lectures in our religion. That we always think that, oh, this is not relevant to me Or this is more pertinent to somebody else Or, you know, this is going to be more, you know, well addressed with somebody else No, 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 the, the ayat in this Quran are ayat that are relevant to every single person that reads them um, So we're going to be, inshallah, divulging into these, uh, these verses today So we ended with verse number 22 last week in verse number 22, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentioned, he says that we gave Yusuf alayhi salam maturity and wisdom, okay? وَلَمَّا بَلَغَ أَشُدَّهُ أَعْتَيْنَهُ حُكْمًا وَعِلْمًا وَكَذَلِكَ نَجْزِي الْمُحْسِنِينَ That he says that, and we attained. And he attained his full age, بَلَغَ أَشُدَّهُ Right? he was given manhood, right? And we discussed we discussed some portions of, of, of tafasir that discussed how old he was, right? Some of the scholars they discussed, you know, what the differences of age were, right? Um, some scholars they mentioned that he was in his uh, his thirties. And some scholars, uh, more leading scholars, Ibn Abbas, عن, said that he was forty years of age. And the proof and evidence behind that 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 claim that he was forty is that the majority of prophets they received their Nabu. Their prophethood at age 40 And the most famous one obviously of all Is the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam Okay And so now we move on to verse number 23 Verse number 23 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins He says Okay So this verse It begins by discussing a very, very serious situation. So we learned in the past ayah that Yusuf alayhi salam is now a man, right? And one of the more kind of fiqh discussions of what makes a man and a woman is this idea of puberty, right? And this is why Islam is always a timeless religion. No matter what types of you know general Cultural norms are found at the time Islam's rules and guidelines are things that were found in in divine command not in human command and this is why just for fun facts and this is a very you know i I don't want to uh you know you know go on a tangent here but there's always these discussions in normal culture about what's appropriate you know time of age for a child to engage in certain things right marriage is a very common one what's the age of adulthood in 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 human beings in this country and all all of us know that the right of adulthood in this country is the year anyone 18, right? It's very common. Once a kid turns 18, you are now a fully free adult. This is something that culture and, 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 and politics and government basically has decided nowadays. But very interestingly, if you, if, if you don't you know, know this, uh, even in this country itself, in America, in the United States of America, a person, in order to get married legally just 100 years ago, just 100 years ago This is not that long ago by the way In retrospect of human history Which is, dates back thousands and thousands and thousands of years 100 years ago in this country In a state called Delaware The age of getting married was 14 years 14 Some of you guys have 14 year olds in your own home right now So why was it 14 100 years ago And is now all of a sudden 18 Well, I don't know the reason But the, 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 the cause is that this is what happens when you have human beings making law. They will constantly change. Who knows what will happen in the next 30 years? Who knows what will happen in the next 50 years? What was culturally uh, taboo even 10, 15 years ago is quite literally the norm right now. And this is what a lot of us see nowadays. You go outside and you think to yourself, wow, have times have changed, right? Things that were just absolutely barbaric just 15, 20 years ago, unthinkable. There's no way you would see this stuff out in public You see it out in public right now And this is quite literally a result of people uh, living in a country In which people are at the ultimate you know, say of what goes around right? So in Islam we believe in very very doctrinated commands right? And one of which is that a person becomes of age when they reach adulthood And so Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam was of an adult man state at this point in his life and so at this point, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says he's been living in this home for quite a few years. Okay? He's been raised in this home for quite a few years at this point. And now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says, that the person, the woman in whose house he was, Fi She Sought to seduce him, to call him towards her. An-Nafsihi. Okay? And there are several, obviously, different kind of uh, elements of discussion just from the very beginning. But some of the scholars they mentioned, and there are some scholars that are very, very uh, famous. One of them is by the name of Ibn Ishaq. Ibn Ishaq is the famous scholar of Sirah, by the way. If anybody wants to, obviously his, his work is completely in Arabic, but you know those who have translated his work to some degree, Ibn Ishaq is one of the most famous scholars of Sirah, the prophetic biography. And he says That this took place in the privacy of the home In one of the quarters In which Zuleikha, right? There were a couple of different narrations About what her name possibly was Zuleikha was the most majority opinion That Zuleikha began to start praising Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam About his physical appearance Okay? She began to praise him about his physical appearance Saying that obviously, you know How beautiful you are How beautiful your features are How beautiful your hair is And you know, Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam, one of the things I want to kind of share very, very seriously in this in this session today is something along the lines of how to repel temptation. This is a very normal thing, by the way. You know, I know a lot of us kind of attribute teenagers and youth to this kind of problem in in daily life, but this is actually an issue that's prevalent even in adulthood. We think that adults, just because we're married, that it's completely past our, 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 our relevancy and has nothing to do with us, but this is a lifelong challenge. This is a lifelong challenge This is a part of the nafs This is a part of nature This is a part of what makes a human being what they are And so be it that this is going to be something that human beings will struggle with It's something called shahwa. It's called desire Okay So how to repel desire And this is one of the examples in the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us very point blank Okay So she begins to you know tempt him she says, you know, وَرَوَادَتْ خُلَّتِي فِي بَيْتِهَا you know, عَن نَفْسِهِ That she tries to call him to her by complimenting him and his physical futures. Now one of the most beautiful things Ibn Ishaq he mentions is that Prophet Yusuf, when he began hearing his praise, when he began hearing his praise immediately, she said, how beautiful is your hair. And Yusuf salam he would respond, after death, these hairs will be the first to part way from my body. He would respond to her in a way that would completely uh, negate whatever she had just said. Oh, how beautiful your hair is, he said. Well, this is the first thing that's going to go as I get older, right? This is the first thing that's going to basically decay off of my body even while I'm still alive. And then she mentions how beautiful are Ayn, your eyes. Your eyes are beautiful, right? And we, we, we know this. Beauty, you know, it's funny. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? It's a common statement, right? But, you know, the eyes are something that attracts other people. And this is why, by the way, the eyes, people say, the scholars of Tazkiyah, the scholars of the purification of the heart, they say, the eyes are a window to thee, to the heart. Whatever the heart, whatever the eyes see eventually leads into thee, the heart of a human being. So if we frequent ourselves with things that we are not supposed to see, the heart will be, start becoming accustomed to things that we are not supposed to feel. Right? Very interesting concept here. So she began to praise his eyes. Okay? How beautiful are your eyes? And Prophet Yusuf salam, he would respond that after death, ba'da after my death, they will become water and flow down my face. The eyes will become nothing. Right? The eyes will become nothing. And then once again, she mentioned, she goes, how beautiful is your waj, your face? And he responds to her, all of this will be eaten by the earth at one point. Everything will be gone one day. So the first lesson, the first lesson that the scholars that give us just from the beginning portion of verse number 23 is that when a person becomes praised for a purpose that is something that is not good. And this is why, by the way, praise is a very slippery slope. It's a very slippery slope. Imam al-Ghazali, he would say that when he used to, Imam al-Ghazali used to live a portion of his life, by the way, he lived uh, in Damascus. After he basically decided to swear off teaching in the city of Baghdad, he went to perform hajj. Right, And he swore to basically renew himself And this is by the way If anybody has ever heard this work of Imam Al Ghazali Ihyaa Ulumuddin It's his most famous book The word ihya literally means Revival A revival Something that happens when you want to re-refine something And so he wrote this book While he was reviving his life Because he felt that he was living a life That was a little bit more So kind of Alluding to his own nuffs and his own ego, he was teaching thousands of scholars. People would be coming to him, sitting at his feet, to learn about the religion. And he felt at a point in his life that this is not something that I actually is good for my heart. So I'm going to go and make hajj. And after he went to make hajj, he took up a position as a custodian in a masjid in Damascus. A custodian. Can we imagine Subhanallah? Can we imagine our imam sobs nowadays like sweeping the floor with like you know all those cleaning 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 solutions? Usually nowadays, the common culture is we have somebody for that. We have a janitor who takes care of that. Imam al Ghazali, one of the most brilliant minds in the world at that time, he swore to serve this masjid not as a teacher, as a custodian. And he said that he would hear people, the local imam, the local masha'ikh in that masjid, quoting his books. Because he wrote some books at that time. Quoting his books. And he said, whenever I heard somebody quote my book, I would immediately run the opposite direction. I would run the opposite way. Because for a human being, when we hear our names being praised or our work being acknowledged, the immediate natural reaction is, tell me more, right? Tell me more. I want to hear more about this. But Imam Ghazali says, no, this is bad for the heart. This is bad for the heart. If the heart is trying to stay sincere The worst thing for that heart Is to hear how good it is And that's just the heart Now imagine what happens If somebody just continuously Praises your physical appearance Which is something That you are in zero control of Right? And this is why by the way You know when we say uh, Anything Anything good In terms of something That is out of our control We always follow up that statement By saying Masha'Allah. Why? Because the the, the phrase masha Allah comprises of literally three words. Ma meaning whatever, sha means will, and Allah of Allah. That if a person has graduated school, masha'allah, this is something of Allah's will. If a person has gotten married, masha'allah, this is something of Allah's will. We know for a fact that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't want it to happen, there is no possible way with all of your effort and all of your talents and all of your capability that you would have been able to do it without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willing for it to happen. So this is a very important point here So he kept on repelling Whatever she would attempt to praise him with Okay On top of that Another difficult moment here And this is found by the way In the language of the Arabic Here in this verse It says وَرَوَادَتْهُ fi هُوَ فِي بَيْتِهَا بَيْتِهَا Anyone know what that means? بَيْتِهَا Her home Her home Right Why does this now complicate things? This is not a stranger's home. This is not the home of a random person you found in the community. This is not even your own home. This is bayti ha. In Arabic pronouns, ha is hers, right? She was one of the owners of the home. So Yusuf alayhi salam was in the state of being a one who is owing the person who he lives in their home, Right? He was a person who owed whoever was living in, 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 in who, whoever's home he was living in at that time. So at this point, the scholars say another point of contention was that he was in a state of, he was in need. He was in need. They were taking care of him, they were paying his bills, they were feeding him his food. And now all of a sudden, the woman who helped raise him is the one who is attempting this fahsha upon Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam. Putting him in a very, very awkward situation. An nafsihi for herself. Okay, and so it says that the wife of this Aziz, in whose house Yusuf resided, in Ibn Kathir, he says, whose husband had recommended that she take care of him and be generous to him, tried to basically insinuate this act with Prophet Yusuf. (laughs) (laughs) She called him to do an evil act with her because she had this shahwa. The Shahwa. We don't even say muhabba, by the way, because muhabba is something that is almost like a pure love. Right? Shahwa is something of desire. It's something that doesn't last very long. We almost call it more so of a lust than a love, a desire. Because Yusuf alaisam <laughs> was handsome and she obviously uh, had this inkling of a desire for him. And so she said, uh, she said, "Qalat it Talaka. And hey talaka, by the way, in Arabic is a very interesting phrase. There's a couple different ways that you can define hey talaka. The, the scholars, they basically differ in this, but they say, hey talaka, Ibn Abbas, he says, it means she was calling him to herself. Hey talaka, okay? Bukhari, Imam Bukhari, he says that hey talaka means come on, like come on. And by the way, Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, he actually even says that hey talaka is not even an Arabic word. He says it's a word that's in Aramaic. He says a very old language, because obviously Yusuf did not speak Arabic, nor did the people of that time speak Arabic, right? So they're saying that Bukhari, Imam Bukhari says that hey talaka is almost an Aramaic phrase, saying come on you, right, or, or come hear you, okay? And Imam Bukhari also says that hey talaka also has the insinuation that uh, I am ready for you or I'm here for you. Basically, I am willing to do whatever this is and I invite you to it. This is what hey talaka means, okay? Now at this point, at this point, Prophet Yusuf Alayhi he gives one of the most amazing answers. Okay? He gives one of the most amazing answers. Because, and I want everyone to pay attention to like the, 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 the tartib, we call in Arabic, the procedure, the process here. Right? Because a lot of us, we have these theories on how to handle, you know, difficult moments. Trials, tribulations, conflicts. But the Quran has already defined what the procedure actually is, right? Don't reinvent the wheel, it's already there for you. You know, a lot of us are, oh, this is the way I do things. This is the way I do things. Well, a Muslim who first and foremost goes back to the Quran as a main source of guidance is a very beautiful type of person, right? They're admitting first and foremost that no matter what I do, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His messenger know better than me. And this is one of the biggest points of this religion that one can find, right? This entire onus of Islam to, to, to submit, right? To submit, aslim, to submit is something that is very, very practiced in our religion, that it should be practiced in our religion. And that also inculcates this idea of putting aside your own ego. Oh well I think I know things better Oh I think I know how to do things better Well can you put that entire ego aside And open up the Quran and say Well what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala think about this And so Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam He answers her call in a beautiful way He says to her Qala ma'ad Allah Qala ma'ad Allah Which basically translates out to I seek refuge in Allah Ma'ad Allah Oh Allah help me The first thing he did, I call out to God. What is one of the most significant lessons from just this phrase? Doesn't this fall along the lines of whenever somebody gets angry, they're supposed to say what? A'udhu billah. Whenever someone begins to eat something, they say, bismillah. Whenever someone goes through something that's good for them, they say, Alhamdulillah. Whenever someone commits a sin, they say, Astaghfirullah. When someone is ever amazed by something, they say, Subhanallah. Whenever someone praises somebody else, they say, MashaAllah. Whenever somebody wants to do something, they say, InshaAllah. So we learn here that the immediate response of a person who is is I can't think of anything else besides mentioning Allah first and foremost. Before I say anything else, before I try to do anything else, before I attempt to do X, Y, and Z, my first instinct is immediately Allah. That's it. That's it. That's why the scholars, they say, the test of a person when they go through something good is can they remember Allah to that point, they say Alhamdulillah immediately as soon as they go through something good for them. Because during bad times, all of us can say, Subhanallah, or A'udhu Billah, or, you know, all these different things. But during good times, can you say, Alhamdulillah? And so at this point, he says, Qala ma'ad Allah. Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you, Ya Allah. (laughs) Innahu rabbi ahsana mathwa. Innahu la yuflihu dhalimoon. Okay? So after he says, Qala ma'ad Allah, which is a cry out to God Himself, then he says, (inaudible) Innahu <inaudible> Rabbi Ahsana Matwa. He says indeed he is my Rabb. Now here's where things get a little bit interesting, right? He says, Innahu Rabbi Ahsana Matwa. Now, the scholars have a couple of different things to say about this. It's very interesting, by the way. Because he says Rabbi. Innahu, Rabbi. Right? So, who is this Rabbi that Yusuf Ali is talking about? Now there's two different opinions here. The first opinion is the Rabbi is a badal, it's an Arabic grammar, is a substitute for Allah, right? So whenever someone says Rabbi, they mean go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So that's the first opinion. The second opinion is that if you read the rest of the ayah, it says, "Innahu Rabbi ahsana mathwa That he made my living a great comfort, Ahsana mathwa. And so the scholars also say that who the rub could be referring to here is also the husband of Zuleikha. Right? Now this brings up a very obvious point. Should a Muslim can a Muslim call somebody their rub except Allah? Because obviously in our sharia it's haram. I cannot go up to I don't know my boss and say this is my rub. I cannot go up to my landlord and say this is my rub. It's negated in our sharia. So what's the explanation for this? All well, the scholars, they mention that the lead explanation for this is that obviously at that time, the sharia of the Prophet ﷺ, as we know it, had not been established. That shirk as a, a, a methodology was abolished ever since the beginning of time. From the time of Adam salam up until today. Shirk is something that is not accepted in this religion. No matter what age or time you came in. But the intricate details of sharia were not detailed out at that time. So when Yusuf alayhi s he says, "Innahu, rabbi ahsana The word Rab was not exclusively used just to mean a deity that I worship. It means that anybody that had ownership over me. Anyone that had ownership over me. And so this man, the, the, the husband of Zuleikha was the owner of this home. And so he's saying here also, this is an accepted opinion by the way It's very important to understand these things It's an accepted opinion So when we, you know, open up, you know, like an English tafsir Which not, not everybody has the luxury of opening up an Arabic tafsir But if you open up an English tafsir and you read Yeah, the first opinion is that Rabbi is a badal for Allah But the second opinion is that Rabbi could also mean that this is referring to the man that, li- that, that owns his home This is a valid opinion But the opinion must be explained So there's no confusion right and this is why it's so important to study this deen under people who are more knowledgeable and this is when a teacher is present somebody can say oh i don't understand that point i thought calling anything a rub besides allah was not permissible well here's the explanation that clearly the sharia muhammadiyah was not at that time so we know now why this was this was an opinion okay so prophet yusuf using the word rub in here is not it's, it's not a problem because it goes back to the, the word "rub" being used culturally for anyone who had ownership at that time. And so he says, Rabbi Ahsana methwa." He's made this home a comfort. And this is why, by the way, both opinions are valid. So Yusuf a.s. could be saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made my stay here comfortable. And it could also mean that your husband has made my stay here comfortable. Make sense? Very good. So, إِنَّهُ لَا يُفْلِحُ إِنَّهُ <inaudible> la And he says, Verily, the wrongdoers will never succeed. And so now, he brings up after he says, قَالَ مَعَضَ Then he brings up conversation. You see the tarteeb, the, the process here? A lot of us sometimes, when we're going through difficult moments, right? Moments of temptation, or moments where haram could be very present in front of us, immediately, our immediate go-to is our own logic. We had this discussion, by the way, at the Qalam seminary today, while some of our students were studying, uh, you know, some certain ayat of the Quran that negated you know, cer- certain uh, things that were consumable. The first and foremost of, of, was khinzir, right? The eating of pork. Now, if I ask the average Muslim, why is pork haram? The average Muslim would say, well, swine is a disgusting animal. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. This is the common answer. Khinzir is that they eat everything. They eat everything. So obviously, the, 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 the feed of the, of the animal depend, is, is a, a big, big factor in what their content is. But can I throw something logically at you as well? Chickens eat everything. This is very true. You go up to any farmer, any agriculturalist, and you ask them, what do people feed their chickens? And chickens will eat God, on God's green earth quite literally everything. So now that logic goes out the window. If pigs eat everything, chickens eat everything, that's not the true answer then. What is the true answer? Why is khinzir haram? Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said so. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said so. And you have to be okay with it. We have to be okay with it. There are certain things in this deen that are literally ilmul ghaib There are knowledge, it's knowledge that we it's not apparent to us. You can logically deduce whatever deduction you come to, but it is not something that is purely rooted in logic. Okay? So when it comes to trials and tribulations, especially in temptation, it's not always the best idea to logically find your way out of it. Oh, this person is asking me to do this haram. Oh, brother, don't you know that gambling, it's so bad and it's so this and the Oh, don't you know that desire and temptation is not always good? But think about what, you know. no, no, no. The first idea is qala ma'adallah. A'udhu billah. This is something that Allah has told me to stay away from. Because guess what? Your logic is something that will waver over time. Have we witnessed people like this, by the way, who 10 years ago they logically thought of one thing and now 10 years later they think of something totally different? Logic is not something that is constant, it's not something that's infinite. Logic is limited. So as a Muslim, your, your brain cannot be solely tied to logic. It has to be also be tied to wa ata'na After we hear and we obey, then logic obviously comes. And this is even true in terms of Islamic fiqh by the way. Even in Islamic fiqh. What are the, what are the processes? Quran, Sunnah, Ijma, Qiyas. What is the last stage? Is something called Qiyas, which means logical deduction. Above that is Ijma, 'ah, The consensus of those who know more than us Above that is the sunnah of the Prophet And above that is the word of Allah Absolutely I can't just say well Allah told me to pray But you know my qiyas is that I can pray laying down if I really want to Oh I know Allah Ta'ala said that In the Quran that there's something called 'ah. zakah Zakah is a faraid It's a fard in in our religion Ah well why 2.5% I think I can give around you know 2.2. 2.2 sounds better to me. No, you can't. The Prophet 2.5%. This is the process in our religion. So after he says then he brings to her attention logic. He says, No, 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 you can't. The one who in 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 he's made this home comfortable, Rabbi Ahsana mathwa. he's made this home a comfort for all of us. For not only me, but for you. This is your husband. So how can you do this to him? How can you do this to me? So there is where your logic comes into effect. Okay? And then, in verse number 24, Allah continues. Very beautiful ayat, by the way. Verse number 24, for those who are following along. Allah says, وَلَقَدْ hammat he. Wahambiha Laulaan Ra Burhanan Burhana Rabbi. He says Wallaqad verily indeed hammat bihi. She had desire for him. She had a desire for him. Wahmabiha. And he would have had desire for her. Laula and Ra Burhanan Rabbi unless he saw a sign, he's seen an evidence from his Lord. Now, what does this mean? This is very, very interesting. Because there's a hadith, by the way, that that, that backs this ayah up, okay? And this hadith is where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he says, and this is, by the way, a hadith Qudsi. A hadith Qudsi is very important to understand because hadith Qudsi is not Quran, This is a hadith Qudsi, right? It is not the direct word of Allah. It is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had expressed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is putting in whose words? His words. This is why, by the way, hadith Qudsi is not ibadah, right? Reciting the Quran is ibadah, it is worship. Reading a hadith Qudsi is not ibadah. One cannot just go up and say, you know, I'm gonna start reciting hadith Qudsi in a very beautiful way and hope to get reward for it. It's good. I'm not saying that it's bad, it's good. It's good to read a hadith Qudsi. It's good to read any hadith. But it's not an act of worship to read a hadith Qudsi. So, this hadith Qudsi, it says, Yaqulullah ta'ala, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, that if my slave, إذا هَمَّ عبدي, right, if my slave intends to perform a good deed, okay, bi hasanatin, if he intends to perform a good deed, then write, record for it for him as one good deed if my 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 slave intends to perform a good deed write for him one good deed okay، and he says Ashrin. and if he performs it if he actually turns it into action then write down how many ten very good. If he intends to commit an evil deed... Intends by the way... Intends to commit an evil deed... And he did not commit it... Then record it for him as one good deed... Okay... Intend, if he intends to, does not do it... Then record for him one good deed... If he left it for my sake... Right... But if he commits the deed... If he follows through with it in his amal... In his action then record for him one bad deed. So one good deed intention leads to one good deed action, but if it's acted upon, it leads to 10 good deeds. If it's one bad deed that's intended, that is actually negated because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the sake of Allah, it's recorded as one good deed. And if he does follow through with it, it's considered one bad deed. But here's the most beautiful part. If Allah is replacing the intention of a bad deed with not doing it, and he says "Rewarded is a good deed So you follow through with a good deed Then how many actually do good deeds Actually follow up with Ten Very good This is why by the way The Prophet ﷺ, he says that On the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Is written Inna rahmati sabqat That indeed My, my, my mercy supersedes any, any sign of my wrath Or my anger Okay So she had desire for him She had desire for him And He, and this is by the way Where the scholars they say وَهَمَّا biha That he had an inkling 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 of a desire as well But That inkling of a desire Is what any human being would feel To feel human To acknowledge in front of them The situation at hand Not saying that Prophet Yusuf Was actually tempted Like a lot of us Regular people would be Because the Prophets of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala were something we called maasum, maasum, which means they were literally protected. They were protected from these things. The Prophet ﷺ was the exact same way. Very fascinating stories of Sira, by the way, uh, of the Prophet ﷺ, when he was a teenager. I don't know if a lot of teenagers actually know about this stuff. That when the Prophet ﷺ one time was walking in the streets of Makkah and his, his community would invite him over to like a gathering. Like, come, come, there's a gathering, there's you know, festivities and poems and songs and all these different things that will be done and khamar and, and alcohol and all these things were available. And the Prophet ﷺ at that time was a teenager. He was a teenager. And he would say that I would almost be open to seeing what it would be like to go to these things. And I was walking towards these gatherings and all of a sudden I felt this deep, intense feeling of fatigue and tiredness. And I would immediately pass out on my way. And I would wake up the next day after it all was over. (laughs) This doesn't happen to normal people, you know. And I think unfortunately, a lot of people, they, they, they expect this like in their life for some reason. <laughs> like, oh Allah, I'm going towards this party, but you know, please protect me. I mean, brother, you're still walking, dude. <laughs> like, you're not a prophet of God. You can't expect Jibreel <laughs> to come and tell you, Iqra bismi you're not a prophet. These miracles are not gonna happen for you. So if you expect these miracles as a normal person, I'm sorry, you're in for a rude awakening. <laughs> These were specifically reserved for the Anbiya of Allah. So Yusuf alayhi salam, وَهَمَّا biha, The only ham that he felt for her was the inkling that made him a human being. Where he, actually the scholars they would say that the the, the ham that Allah is describing here is just the ham of literally a person who acknowledges that there is somebody here of the opposite gender. So it's merely acknowledgement, not desire. Just the acknowledgement of the situation at hand. Okay? That he would have been tempted if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had not given him Burhan Rabbihi. Burhan. The word Burhan in Arabic means several different things, but the most easy way to actually translate the word Burhan is the word sign or evidence. A sign or an evidence. Okay? Now, the very obvious and we'll inshallah end in the next few minutes because I want everyone to have it adequate enough time to enjoy each other's company and have dinner together inshallah the best way to define this is sign or evidence now the very easy question is asked is what was the sign or evidence right saying that he would have been tempted like a regular person had he not seen the sign or evidence because this was by the way the mode of ma'asum. this burhan was the mode of ma'asum, meaning like this burhan that he saw was what actually kept him uh, protected So what was this Burhan that Yusuf salam he saw? So Imam al-Tabari, very famous Mufassir, he says that the Burhan might have been the image of Ya'qub alayhi salam who reminded him to not do this. So an image of his own father he saw in his mind telling him to stay far away from this temptation. Okay, that's the first opinion. Imam Mamat tabari he says the second opinion Is that an angel came to him And he reminded him to stay away To stay away, okay And then the last opinion The last opinion of all the opinions Is that there was in fact A verse of the Quran That in fact came down to Or, or Yusuf Alayhi salam Was taught at that time so the third opinion is that a divine statement came down that actually forbade him from doing, or, or engaging in that act. And that was, لا تقربوا الزنا Don't go close to zina. Don't even come close to this act of adultery. And that was made aware in Yusuf's mind. And by the way, the ترتيب, it again, the, 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 the strength of the opinions goes exactly as I had stated. That the strongest opinion is that he was reminded via a reminder from his father, Yaqub. The second opinion is that a, a, an angel came to him and told him uh, and reminded him to stay away from this. And the last opinion is that there was obviously uh, a, a, a legislation that was sent down, La Zina, To stay away from zina. Okay? And so this is a very good place to stop. Uh, actually, there's actually one last thing I can mention here, inshallah, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he finishes off verse number 24 by saying, كذلك لنصرف كذلك لنصرف عنه السوء والفحشاء إنه من عبادنا المخلصين. that Allah subhanahu wa taala he finishes ayah number twenty four by saying thus it was كذالك that we might turn away from him evil. okay. He was of our sincere uh, worshippers. Now, last point here before inshallah we break. Very, very beautiful. And I'm just going to inshallah leave everyone amazed. This is why we call by the way, this is why we say Quran and Ajaba. You know? You heard that phrase before? Quran and Ajaba. It's like Ajaba, means like it's going to mesmerize you. Well, this is going to mesmerize you right here. Here, right here, the Arabic, if you look at it, if you're reading the Arabic, it says, it says, Allah, thus, Allah turned away from him evil and immoral deeds, immoral sins. It didn't say that Allah turned him away from evil deeds and immoral sins. What did it say? Allah turned away from him evil and immorality. You know what this is called? This is called izzah. By saying that evil deeds actually avoid you. You don't avoid evil deeds, evil deeds avoid you. It's a very famous statement of the Prophet, by the way, relating to Umar ibn Khattab. He said, When Umar ibn Khattab used to take one route, shaitan used to take the other route. (laughs) Like, imagine what type of person you'd have to be to be a person who evil in and of itself avoids. Like, you don't have to dodge evil anymore, evil dodges you. May Allah Ta'ala allow us to get to that stage in our lives. I mean, It's a, it's an extremely powerful verse of the Qur'an that people actually gloss over and don't think about. That Yusuf A.S. was not a person who avoided the evil. Yes, he avoided the evil, but the evil actually avoided him because of how much of a mukhlis he was. How sincere he was. And that's why Allah says that, at the end of the day, al الْمُخْلَسِينَ That he was one of our servants who was mukhlis. He was mukhlisin, right? We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to learn from his ayat. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of the people who are sincere, who are uh, attentive to the things that please him and stay away from the things that displease him. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow the Quran to be a proof ag- for us and not against us on the day of judgment. Amin. Rabbil Alameen. Subhanak Allahumma wa bihamdik wa nashadu ilaha illa ant, nastaghfiruka wa natubalake. Insha'Allah we'll break for some, some, some food insha'Allah some uh, some socialization inshallah and then afterwards we will pray Isha at 8:30 jazakallah khair